Hi, soul sibling. I'm feeling the juice. I have something really deep and meaningful to share with you today. I've been working on my memoir. This is month two. It's coming together in all interesting forms, words, pictures. It's bleeding into my painting, my sketchbook. It's a lot of work and I'm committed and I'm putting in the effort. So I was writing and I had yesterday, Monday, September 19th in real time, I found this beautiful concept that I'm including in one of the scenes and I wanted to share it with you today because it's really helpful and it matters a lot to me. And before I do that and we get into the podcast episode, I want to read to you a favorite new poem from Joy Harjo, poet laureate of the United States. So settle your ears, settle your being, drop your shoulders, relax your jaw, take a deep breath, and may I read this poem to you. Perhaps the World Ends Here by Joy Harjo. The world begins at a kitchen table. No matter what, we must eat to live. The gifts of earth are brought and prepared, set on the table. So it has been since creation and it will go on. We chase chickens or dogs away from it. Babies teeth at the corners. They scrape their knees under it. It is here that children are given instructions on what it means to be human. We make men at it. We make women. At this table we gossip, recall enemies and the ghosts of lovers. Our dreams drink coffee with us as they put their arms around our children. They laugh with us at our poor falling down selves and as we put ourselves back together again, once again at the table. This table has been a house in the rain, an umbrella in the sun. Wars have begun and ended at this table. It is a place to hide in the shadow of terror, a place to celebrate the terrible victory. We have given birth on this table, and we have prepared our parents for burial here. At this table we sing with joy, with sorrow. We pray of suffering and remorse. We give thanks. Perhaps the world will end at the kitchen table while we are laughing and crying, eating of the last sweet. Welcome to Viral Mindfulness, the podcast. My name is Blue Tree Elder. That's right. I'm here with a new episode. It's a big week. It's the fall autumn equinox. Welcome back, soul sibling. Much love and playfulness to your equinox fall approaches. It's such a cozy time of year. So many flavors and smells and colors and feelings and it's a lovely time. So I wish you much. Today I wanted to talk briefly 
about an idea that I've been dancing with for many years. And this comes from, well, it comes from many places, but particularly, I believe I first learned about this from Pema Chodron. There's a metaphor and a statement that I pulled, uh, and this is from Pema, which says in one sentence, we are instructed to let our thoughts come and go as if touching a bubble with a feather. So I have danced with this metaphor for seasons, for years, and I've always thought, how do you touch a bubble with a feather? Doesn't it pop? And I don't think that the instruction here is necessarily that it wouldn't pop, but for me, what it's become is this riddle or paradox. And I am, my work is to touch the bubble with the feather because touching it means I'm touching and it's not popping. So then it means to me that there is an amount of, there's care and precision and attention tending towards. There's a kindness, there's inclusivity, generosity, mystery required for me to touch the bubble with a feather. And for me, this really inspires the root of my tender, vulnerable heart. This is a vulnerability that I'm in relationship with and have been. And I wanted to talk a little bit about it with you today. So there's another statement that comes from Adi Ashanti. So I've, I'm making a list of several of the main teachers in my life. Adi Ashanti, Pema Chodron, those are two, obviously, and this short list has about six names. I'll just use those two for today. I'm working, as some of you know, and if you don't know, I've made a goal for myself to have a manuscript completed by next August, a first draft of a memoir. And it's not my full life story. I'm <laughs> totally taking that off the burner as to give myself permission to tell a certain story. And my working title is Into the Blue, Sifting Through Memories of Meth and Mormonism. And I'm bouncing back and forth between Mormon memories and memories of when I was addicted and deep into crystal meth use, which happened two different times almost between a 10-year period in 2003, 4, 5, and then in 2013, 14, 15. Uh, and in 2015 is when I started sobriety. And in fact, this very Saturday, this week, the week of autumn equinox is my pure 100% so birthday on September 24th. So I'm commemorating that this weekend, seven years. It's crazy how time goes and how much things evolve and shift. And ultimately, I feel compelled to keep abstaining from drugs and alcohol and to keep diving deeper into this relationship with my inner landscape. So back to Adi Ashanti. He lays out a couple ideas that I've really been dancing with the last month. So let me share those with you right here. So Adi Shanti says that one of the reasons he has people meditate is because he thinks of it as truth time. 
Here's his, his words. If you sit quietly for a period of time, sooner or later, your denial starts to break down because it just gets too painful to sit there and lie to yourself about what's happening. He says, if people think they've woken up to their true nature, yet they can't sit still without going crazy, then they aren't half as awake as they think they are. Meditation is like an oven that forces the truth out. I think it's really interesting. And, you know, my deeper belief is that everyone has to follow the path that's calling your life is showing you a path. It's, it's creating this map. It's like this math is this map with the MAP is coming into like translation for you as the traveler. So you may not resonate with this. But for me, it deeply resonates that learning to sit and to meditate and to sit still when your mind is going crazy, that this is a very important practice. And so if this resonates for you, then meditation, Adi Ashanti says, is like an oven that's going to force the truth out. He goes on, when you meditate and you're not manipulating, which is, of course, new to a lot of meditators, then quite naturally there is this kind of unloading and truth itself can spontaneously arise. And often what is unloaded is a lot of repressed material that people have been using their spirituality to suppress. When you just sit and you're not manipulating, then you actually start to see things you need to see and experience the things you need to experience. Old experiences may arise that have been waiting there for 30 years just to be experienced, not to be figured out necessarily or analyzed, but just to be experienced without going unconscious. Isn't that gorgeous? So for me, I know that I did a lot of things to stay away from what was trying to come up. And that going unconscious for me many different strategies. One big one was a good decade or plus of pretty extensive drug use. And it kept me really unconscious. And a very simple definition is not being aware in your unconscious state. So if that's what's happening as we take Adi Shanti and maybe we are learning not to manipulate through meditation and to create this space, this open, inclusive space to just experience what comes up, to sit with it, then there is going to be material that arises. And in that, there might be thoughts, all kinds of storylines, and there could be sensations, feelings, emotion, there could be sensations in the body, the smell, the touch. And to me, then that brings us back to Pema Chodron that says, here, maybe what we're doing there is we are learning this straightforward instruction that as the thoughts, and oftentimes thoughts, mind can be synonymous with heart, mind, heart, the same in Zen and Buddhism. So we are instructed to let the thoughts come and go as if touching a bubble with a feather. 
So that really gives me an avenue to practice. And it's something I've been dancing with for a good decade plus, but in sobriety for sure in 2015 when everything ripped open and my awareness was very, very vivid. I have used this through death, through loss, through disappointment and sorrow, even through the joy and the accomplishments, coming to a place of neutral ground, coming to a place of meditation. So here's what Pema says, meditation provides a way for us to train in the middle way in staying right on the spot. We, in, we are encouraged not to judge whatever arises in our mind. In fact, we are encouraged not to even grasp whatever arises in our mind. What we usually call good or bad, we simply acknowledge as thinking without all the usual drama that goes along with right and wrong. We are instructed to let the thoughts come and go as if touching a bubble with a feather this straightforward discipline prepares us to stop struggling and discover a fresh, unbiased state of being. Here's a little bit more from Pema. We hear a lot about the pain of samsara and we also hear about liberation, but we don't hear much about how painful it is to go from being completely stuck to becoming unstuck. The process of becoming unstuck requires tremendous bravery because basically we are completely changing our way of perceiving reality, like changing our DNA. We are undoing a pattern that is just not that's that is not just our pattern, it's the human pattern. We project onto the world a zillion possibilities of attaining resolution. We can have whiter teeth, a weed-free lawn, a strife-free life, a world without embarrassment. We can live happily ever after. This pattern just keeps us dissatisfied and causes us a lot of suffering. So for me, I've taken this as an invitation to find that spot in the middle. She says that this is the path of bravery. The less we spin off and go crazy, the more we taste the satisfaction of cool loneliness. As the Zen master Katagiri Roshi often said, one can be lonely and not be tossed away by it. She continues on Pema for a couple more sentences. Stay with me. Then without our even noticing, something begins to shift. We can just be lonely with no alternatives, content to be right here with the mood and texture of what's happening. Isn't that beautiful? Can I sit and be here, right here, with the mood and texture of what's happening? See, and so often the painful parts for me, I want to get far and fast from them. I don't want to be aware. I want to go unconscious. I want to spin. I want to shoot off into the ether high on methamphetamine. And so another reference Pema makes is from Japanese poet Ryoken, who says, quote, if you want to find the meaning, stop chasing after so many things. And finally, here is this from Pema. When you wake up in the morning and out of nowhere comes the heartache of alienation and loneliness, could you use that as a golden opportunity? 
rather than persecuting yourself or feeling that something terribly wrong is happening. Right there, in the moment of sadness and longing, could you relax and touch the limitless space of the human heart? The next time you get a chance, experiment with this. So beautiful. Maybe you want to go back and listen to that one more time. So let me just finish the episode today by giving you a concrete example for me and how I'm using this with grief and loss and sorrow in my life. The last few years have been a chunk of it for me. I feel like I'm in that middle age spot where friends are dying and passing from earth. And even in 2015-16, I had several significant deaths in the first few years of my sobriety in recovery in community with other addicts and alcoholics. And then recently in the last year, it's just been really consistent. And I have found for me that part of going through the pain of losing friends and family and loved ones through death, that lots of different waves and storylines and feelings and thoughts arise. And it's important for me to take what I'm sharing with you, this idea that if I can touch with a feather, the bubble, some of these thoughts as they come up and try not to analyze them, to go unconscious, to spin, to shoot off, to run, to grasp, to even come to a conclusion. Just be with it so intimately like the feather touching the bubble. So a couple of those specifically have been some of the regrets that, oh, I should have done this. I didn't do this right. One in particular with my friend Vanessa, who passed in April. Finally, this last few weeks, I've had the space and it's been the time. I've noticed that these different waves come in the perfect time. And I'm not in charge of that. And my job is to meet them with grace and giggles (laughs) and tears, tons of tears. And so, for example, I'm sitting in meditation and up comes this feeling of, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't tell Vanessa the truth. I was afraid to tell her exactly why, all the reasons why I was going to leave her house and not stay with her for the days that I had committed to be with her. And instead, I took the path of offering some information and I watched her spin and take it a certain direction and it felt easier for me to allow for that to happen. And so instead of trying to do something with that, I just simply felt, okay, well, first of all, I noticed myself trying to say, oh, no, 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 you did everything you thought you should. I, I tried my best. I tried to talk. We got emotional. She said this. I said that. And I said, no, 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 no. Remember what Adi Shanti and Pema are suggesting? I'm not going to analyze this. I'm not going to try and fix this. I'm not going to try and do anything. I'm going to try and experience what's arising. And I'm like, I disappointed my friend. 
I didn't tell her the entire story. I was trying to protect her. I was trying to please her. I withheld all of the information and let her focus on this one because I didn't know how. Oh, that's what that feels like. And then usually what it does for me is I'm just there and I just feel so much that it's overwhelming and there's emotion and tears. And it's so subtle and so, I don't know, I, I want to say important and healing because I cry and it doesn't stay more than a couple minutes. And then it's just as graciously or just as traumatically as it shows up, it seems to graciously just spontaneously move and dissipate if I can meet it with that tender touch the bubble with the feather. A second example was years earlier in 2016 when I was in this crazy experience with a coyote and a chihuahua. I was house-sitting my goddess doggy. Her name was Franny and I was with her and a chihuahua grabbed her by the neck from my front porch one morning early. Um, she charged at it and the coyote picked her up and ran off with her and I was like chasing them. And yeah, you can imagine it was quite horrifying. And she was still alive when I eventually got to them and had been, ooh, I'll just leave it at that, um, some physical damage to her. And I was able to get her in the car and to emergency services. And we put her down. She belonged to my brother and my sister-in-law. And several weeks after that experience, I had a similar thread where I, I, these waves of, I didn't, I didn't do the right thing. I didn't move fast enough. Like when the coyote grabbed her, I didn't move fast enough. And then when I got to her, I didn't take the right steps. And um, I didn't drive to the right place. And if I had gotten there five minutes earlier, then maybe she could have been saved and all these things. And this was the first time. So I kept fighting all those and saying, no, 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 you did all the things you did this. And it was so exhausting within myself to try and like go through that whole like negotiating. And eventually at some point I had heard Adi Ashanti talk about these ideas back then and there was some other content from John O'Donohue, who is also on my top six list of teachers. And I was instructed, and this idea was laid out of this practice that I'm sharing with you. And so I was sitting in meditation. I was sitting in that sacred space carved out for this. And up comes these feelings. And instead of pushing it away or trying to tell a story or a conclusion coming up with something I just said I let her down I didn't move fast enough what does that feel like oh and it was so sad because it just felt so sad I'm like so that's what's at the core is it just feels so sad because I let I let her down or it, not even I let her down kind of as putting a conclusion just I didn't move fast enough I didn't drive to the right hospital. <laughs> what does that feel like? It feels so sad to me. 
it feels so so much it just breaks my heart (laughs) so this might not even resonate with you so feel free to join me for the next episode but there could be something here for you and it doesn't have to be on this topic for example you could take worry you're feeling anxious about this new job that you've started and you don't feel like you are quite competent enough and you're on a sort of 90 day you know period where they're looking at your performance and every day you go in and every day there's anxiety and stress and comparison and then you come home and you can't eat and you don't sleep well because you realize that there's so much you don't know how to do and it impacts your ability to be present and learn and put your creative innovative face forward so let's say it's something like this for you you could take this same sort of place to practice and you could simply sit with whatever arises. So let's say it's, oh my gosh, I'm so afraid I'm going to get fired. Okay. And if I get fired, that's going to feel so much, but it's not happening today yet. But if it were like, what does that feel like? And so then it's like, but what is here right now today? It's just, like, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I don't know how to do this. What does it feel like to be in this situation during the day where you don't know how and you're, I'm afraid to ask for help. I'm afraid to ask what to do if someone can teach me. So, I love it. I think it's so beautiful. I hope this is of service to you. It's the most honest, deep, and relevant dance I'm doing with spiritual concepts this week as we head into fall. Um, I want you to know that I appreciate your time here on the podcast. Um, I'm also sending regular emails to my newsletter with Viral Mindfulness. I like to call it Love Letters of Mindfulness. Some of you have reached out saying you're not getting the email. Uh, Check your junk folders. And some of you, one person particularly had had been unsubscribed. And so I, you know, I can't add you back in if there's an unsubscribe. And sometimes I think that we're in a system with emails and buttons where you can unsubscribe at the top and you're on your phone. And sometimes we accidentally hit unsubscribe. So reach out to me, alexander at viralmindfulness.com if you're not getting emails, but I have a way around this. It's coming soon. I'm working on a new updated 2022 website with lots of juice, and I will have a place for you, my email subscribers, to read and treasure all of my emails that I send out And it will be a, you know, it won't be public to everyone. It will just be a place for you to have access to all those emails in kind of a digital book-like format. I think you'll love it. I wish you well. I'll see you next time on the podcast. And good luck with Feather to the Bubble. Feather to the Bubble. Talk to you soon. 
A couple of you have reached out with questions about my one-on-one coaching therapy. I don't have the space yet for you and I have new systems and processes that are in development and I will be in touch soon, most likely by October 14th with details on your next steps. And if you are interested in doing some one-on-one with me, I require a 12-week, three-month minimum contract to get started. You're welcome to add your name to the waitlist.